0: Everyone this evening okay I really like Starbucks <laughs> on any almost any weekday morning you can find me there I often use Starbucks as my second office oftentimes I've had meetings with people who are here right now at Starbucks some of you have uh, walked into Starbucks and run into me I really like what the company does I like what they do for their employees I like what they do for the environment I like what they do for the local communities around them now don't get me wrong I know there's some dissenters out there some haters Some of you, believe it or not, don't even like coffee, which I can't believe. (laughs) And I like the other places, too, like Coffee Bean and some of the independent places. Don't get me wrong, I go there, too. But I really like Starbucks. So it came as no surprise to me recently when I found that Starbucks had started a new initiative. Started by its founder, CEO, Howard Schultz. Now, it was an initiative that I didn't necessarily expect to come out of Starbucks, but I'm pleased that it did. The initiative, some of you may be familiar with it, is called Upstanders. Not outstanders, but upstanders. See, Howard Schultz, and I tend to believe him, and tend to agree with him, noticed that our media tends to accentuate the negative. Our media, if we were to believe our media, we would think that the world has gone bonkers, chaos. We would think that all we're left with is antipathy and, and people and apathy, people not caring anymore. And in many ways, the leadership of the media tends to think that it is the stories about terrorism and the stories about crime and the stories about scandals are the ones that sell the ads. And so that's what we see on television. And so Howard Schultz felt a little differently. He understood that going on in our community as we stand here, there are people who are doing good things. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And he calls them upstanders. The tagline is, you can stand by or you can stand up. So I wanted to share a couple of stories that come out of the upstanders. Because I think it fits in very well with one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah, the High Holidays. Hopefully, over the last couple of weeks and over the next 10 days, we're spending some time doing a little introspection, thinking about what we've done over the past year, and hopefully setting goals for 5777. And Howard Schultz feels that the more he shows these positive stories, these stories that shed a light on what is good that's happening in all of our communities, the more we may be influenced to do good as well, and that's to me the points of this holiday—to get us to think about what we are going to do for the coming year. In Pirkei Avot, we read, "B'makom lo ish, ish." In a place where there isn't a leader, someone stepping up to do good, step up and do good. And it's these upstanders that have stood up when so few others have been willing to stand up. So the first story has to do with something that is endemic in every one of our cities in the United States, homelessness. And If you ask politicians and uh, leaders in the community, they'll tell you that homelessness is here to stay. There's nothing we can do about it. We can mitigate it. We can set up some government housing. We can ask houses of worship to feed and house the homeless. We can set up soup kitchens. But homelessness is here to stay. Well, there was one community that decided to flip the script on homelessness. A little spoiler alert here. They ended up curbing chronic homelessness in their city, by 90%. The city is Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake City, they had a homeless problem. And they decided to use a program called Housing First. And through this program, they were able to reduce that homelessness. A guy by the name of Lloyd Pendleton, Sixty-six years old, retired auto finance manager. Decided he was going to retire, travel with his family, spend time with his grandchildren. Somehow he got hooked into this Housing First program, having no experience dealing with homelessness, having no experience dealing with housing and dealing with the government, but he had a vision and he had a heart. And he decided to stand up. So he took over the program. Now, conventional wisdom around the United States says that in order to give someone housing, we have to do drug testing. Before we'll allow them to be in a government-subsidized house, we have to make sure that we're drug testing them. Housing first says... In order for someone to be able to beat their addiction, to get over their disabilities, in order for them to be able to do that, they first have to be in a comfortable place. They're never going to get over their addictions and the things that are causing their homelessness while they're on the street. So let's first get them into an apartment. Let's first get them into a house. And then we'll worry about working on their addictions. And Lloyd Pendleton loved this idea. But he knew that he was going to have a difficult time going to the Utah State Legislature and asking them for money to start the program. So when he went to them, he said, I just want to do a small pilot program. 17 families or 17 people and we'll see how it goes. And he knew that he was going to have to pick the most difficult cases. The people with the worst addictions, the people with the worst disabilities. Because if he picked the easy ones, the people who were, you know, for sure going to make it through the program, that wasn't going to show the legislature that it was going to work. So he made sure to pick the most difficult cases. And that's what he did. And the first couple months were difficult. Some families got into their uh, apartments and they were so used to sleeping on the streets would sleep on the floor. One resident even took to keeping his stuff in the apartment but sleeping behind the dumpster outside the apartment. There was even a story that one social worker went into an apartment during the winter and it was freezing in the apartment and she said to the resident, What's, why is it so cold in here? Why don't you turn on the heat? And he said, what do you mean turn on the heat? And she walked over to the thermostat and she said, all you have to do is turn this on right here. This man had been homeless for decades, didn't know what a thermostat was. By the end of the first 18 months of the program, it was a complete success. Of the 17 families and individuals that they had housed, none had gone to jail, none had overdosed, none had walked away from the program. And according to Pendleton, the average cost to help the homeless in Salt Lake City was $22,000 a person. That covered the cost of the health care, of emergency room visits, and all the other things associated with the homeless in Utah. $22,000. In the Housing First program, it was $12,000 a person. Several years later now, and Pendleton has finally retired from that job. But he had a vision, and he had a heart. And he stood up when so few others were willing to do it. There's another story. And this story involves an NFL player. An NFL player who went rather late in the draft. His name, Dave Vabaro. He was uh, drafted by the St. Louis Rams, and after three years, he went to the Seahawks. And while he was with the Seahawks, he had a horrible injury to his shoulder. And he ended up getting addicted to painkillers. He got addicted to painkillers because he knew they had to keep playing through the pain. And the only way he could do it was to numb that pain so that he continued playing. But eventually, he went to rehab, and he was able to kick the habit, but once he did, he decided to retire from the NFL, and he and his wife moved and settled in Dallas, and he decided that he was going to open up a gym to train elite athletes, and he had a friend who was, uh, had been in the military and had opened up a security firm, and had a building, and the friend offered to give him space in the building in exchange for training his security personnel. Set up his gym, and he started training these elite athletes and the security uh, personnel. And one evening, he was at this friend's birthday party, and he came across a veteran, a guy by the name of Miles Travis. Miles Travis is one of only five quadruple amputees to have survived since 9 11. He was wounded in Afghanistan and was now living in Dallas. And Favoro walked up to him and said to him, When was the last time you worked out? And Miles looked at him and said, You know, I don't mean to make you feel like an idiot, but as you can see, I have no arms and no legs. And Voboro said, I can see that, but you're healed now, so what have you done to help yourself physically, to better yourself physically? And before he could answer, Voboro said, I'm going to train you. And Miles said, okay, but do you have any experience? And Voboro said, no, but why start with someone who only has one amputation? Why not start with someone like you? Let's do it. And he agreed. Showed up the next morning at the gym and he began to train him. And the other elite athletes looked around and saw what was going on and couldn't believe their eyes. And over time, Miles began to get much stronger. When he started, Barbaro asked him, What are you most worried about? And he said, You know, no arms, no legs, gravity. I'm worried about falling. And so he started working to strengthen. Miles' core, and that's what he did. And Viboro said if you uh, walked through his gym and saw the way he talked to uh, Miles and saw him uh, the way he treated him as he uh, fell on the mat, you would probably have him arrested. But he wasn't done there. He decided to keep looking for people that he could help. He next found a woman. A woman who had... Her spine severed in a car accident and was told she would never walk again. And she came to his gym and he set her up on a treadmill that was designed specifically to help her stand up and to move her legs. And after a few minutes, she started to cry. And Verburo got very nervous, got very upset. He walked over to her and said, What's going on? Are you okay? And she said, For the first time in six years, I can feel my calves burning. And Barbaro shed a few tears over that as well. And right about that time, he got a call from a sports agent. The Dallas Cowboys had just lost one of their linebackers, and they needed a replacement. Was he interested? And remember, this was a guy who had experienced playing football in front of 80,000 people, never thought he was going to see that paycheck like that again. And he thought about it and then decided he wasn't going back. He found what he was supposed to be doing. And he continued to train both the elite athletes and people with disabilities and amputees. And he doesn't treat them with any kid gloves. He's hard on them. He yells at them. He makes them work hard. He has unconventional methods of, uh, of training them using uh, unorthodox uh, weights and all types of uh, things that we wouldn't normally see people using to train people to strengthen them. There was one story uh, where a man came in and was in a wheelchair and he fell out of his wheelchair and Verboro just stood there and wouldn't help him. It took him four minutes to get back into the wheelchair. And some of the elite athletes who were watching this walked over to him and said, how could you let this guy do that? And he said, if, if this guy was home and his house was on fire, how was he going to get out? And within a week, he was able to get in and out of his wheelchair in 30 seconds. Just an ordinary man with a heart, with a vision, someone who was willing To stand up and not stand by. As we now contemplate the coming year, you know, I think it's sometimes cliche to talk about uh, setting up goals for the year like we do uh, on New Year's or in the secular calendar. But I think there is something to it, even in our Jewish tradition, of looking to Rosh Hashanah as the beginning of, of our year, and saying, we're going to set goals. And so the question for us this year should be, you know, we're just ordinary people. Are we going to be willing to stand up and do something in our community to help others, even in our own small worlds? Are we going to stand up or just continue to stand by? Shana